describe it as you as crossing a, a, a river using stepping stones. It's never going to be a bridge. You've got to go across stepping stones and choose each one and you might find yourself stranded and have to come backwards slightly to move forwards and that's just normal. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about startups who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it in sunny Western Australia. My name is Danelle Cross. And I'm Charlie Gunningham and thanks to everyone who's subscribed to this podcast. Our numbers are going up and up, which is tremendous. And if you have discovered Startup West, please subscribe. And also don't forget, All our podcasts are on our brand new website, startupwest.com.au. So if you're there now, well done, you found it. Congratulations. Stay where you are. Now, imagine doing a startup, but doing it in the public ASX-listed space. Well, our guest today, Jason Waller, has done just this twice, having been CEO of Spookfish, taking it through to a large exit in 2018, and last year he took IntelliCare to an ASX listing. They are commercialising AI technology for aged care and the elderly to allow them to live safely at home. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Startup West. Fantastic to have you here. Thanks, Charlie. It's great to be with you again. Good stuff. Can you tell us briefly about IntelliCare, what it does and how long it's been going and all the sort of history? Sure. So IntelliCare, we're a listed company on the ASX and we turn any home into a smart home using uh, Internet of Things sensors and then AI to allow people who are ageing in place to live independently in their own home and avoid residential aged care or people with disability to live independently and safely. And this is a Perth-founded Tech company. It's been five years old ish. Yeah, we were founded in 2016, 2017 through yep. a WA Country Health Service Royalty for Regions grant, mm. uh-huh. which was fantastic. Mm. So they spent, the founder spent about the first couple of years, 2017, 2018, in research and development, building out the product and making sure it worked. And our first products are still in the wheat belt in Western Australia. Right, right. right. And then in 2019, we started to really commercialise and look for funding. We listed on the ASX in May 2020. And have been going strong since then. In the middle of a pandemic? What was that like? We were one of the first (laughs) to actually do an IPO in the middle of that pandemic. And it was great because obviously with um, that going on, there was a a very much a a lot of attention on COVID and technology that could help people in in a COVID environment. And health-related technology, I suppose. So that was to your benefit. Yes, there was about a two or (laughs) three-week pause while the brokers regrouped and then they still need to put um, bread on the table. So they needed to get something out there and get investors back into the market and healthcare and AI was a natural fit. Now, I presume Mm. this is a big market because you've got the baby boomers retiring. They want to live in their homes for longer. They're going to presumably reinvent retirement. And this sort of technology is going to allow them to stay in their homes for longer. That's, mm. that's the point, right? That's right. So aged care has about $20 billion in government funding and that was recently increased by $10 billion over five years in the last budget. Wow. And the NDIS as well. Mm. It's another $20 mm. billion market. So mm. together they represent a huge leap and with the baby boomers entering that market, the tax base isn't there to support them. So there has to be a, a technology that can allow people to stay in their own home because residential aged care clearly should just no. be a destination, uh, sorry, not a destination, but a safety net rather mm. than right. a destination it once was. Yeah. Right. And this is a relatively new space. So how do you sort of convince the elderly or, mm. um, you know, family members to, you know, to come on board? It, it's a great question. So we're not going into a market that's established. We're a new category. Mm. Um, our competitors really are uh, pendants and old duress devices um, that people would wear around their neck mm. and press right. if they mm-hmm. had, had problems. But with AI, we can not only detect problems but start to prevent them and that's what we talk to people about, that it's not about finding an alert mm. when something's gone wrong 
are trying to prevent that, prevent that happening, happening in the first place. Yeah. Correct. So we, we talk to both the residents, um, their family and their caregivers, but it, we've found that it's very much the family who are mm-hmm. the market and mm-hmm. um, they're the ones we market to and the ones that will talk to the elderly and the carers and bring it all together um, under that umbrella. So children of elderly parents, so ergo they'd be in their 50s and 60s making what are we going to do about mum and dad? It's not very safe. Every time the phone rings, we go, oh, what's happened Mm, now? mm. You're selling to them to solve their problem with their elderly parents. That's right. Mm. They're the sandwich generation, so they're looking after their own children and and Mm. their parents. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we also respect the elderly. Um, It's their privacy and it's their home and it's their choice at the end of the day. Mm. So it has to be a team-based approach. But specifically we've found that the 45 to 65-year-old eldest daughter is our primary market. Because usually the person making That's the decision. Right. They're mm. the influencer or the purchaser of this technology. That's right. And they're yeah. the ones that will talk to the, their mum or dad and, and their siblings as well about On what the behalf. best plan is. So how do you reach yeah. them? Yeah. Well, we started mm. off with um, a digital campaign because the beauty of digital through Facebook and, and Google Ads is you can test the market. And yeah. We, mm. we had campaigns going to all three of those groups, the carers, the family and, and the elderly. And we found obviously um, the biggest response was from the family member mm. and we then scaled that into a radio, TV and online campaign recently um, to tap into that B2C market. Uh, but we also um, have about 80% of our growth at the moment coming from the B2B markets. That's speaking to the home care service right. providers yep. themselves. Yeah. When people think of aged care, they think about nursing homes, but the much bigger market is is in home people care. in their own homes, It's yeah. about five times the size of the nursing mm. home market. Oh, that's companies sending supporters out, carers out to help people in their own home. That that's right. right. It's yeah. the Silver Chains, Brightwaters, Bethany's, Junipers right. of the world mm. um, who have a tiered approach. They have residential aged care in their product offering but also have retirement living and in-home care. So you sell the product to them and then they can install it and look after more people better? Is that? That's correct. So yeah. For both disability care and aged care, the government provides packages um, after doing an, an assessment right. process. And those packages can range from $7,000 a year to upward towards $60,000 a year. And from that package, people will then engage a service provider to both manage the package and deliver the care. And that care might be help with meals, it might be um, welfare visits, it might be doing the gardening, OT, physios, yeah. gardens, yeah. All, those, yeah. all those things. And so we um, are fully funded by the NDIS or from right. a home care package. So going through those care providers, that's the low-hanging fruit. So in a way, mm. it's not costing them anything. The package is paying for it. Correct. Right. It, it comes completely out of their own package. Mm. But even that said, um, the large market, and I think the way of the future, is the number of people who will pay for their aged care privately. So think yes. of mm. how self-managed yes. super has become part of our everyday financial and retirement living terrain. Yep. And now these baby boomers are moving from their retirement phase to their ageing phase mm. and they're finding mm. it's more and more difficult to follow the traditional model and they're starting to take charge of their, their aged mm. care through managing it on their, on their own. Mm. So that market of privately funded aged care is about four to five times larger than the government-funded market. Right. Mm. And they can make the decision and purchase. Um, and yeah. be in control, mm. you know, you know and, and, that, and that macro trend is going to continue yeah. because yep. we simply can't support the aged care budget in the future. There's not a large enough tax base to support the baby boomers as they enter that ageing phase. Mm. And can you talk us through the technology that you use, the Mm. AI technology? 
Sure. So the sensors we use are all passive sensors. They're not cameras. They're movement detectors, power sensors, door sensors. They're, it's IoT technology. Mm-hmm. So we build a platform that allows us to integrate the best in breed of those sensors. We don't manufacture mm-hmm. them, them, nor do we wish to. We find what's the best and brightest in the market and integrate it onto the platform. So where in the past people would traditionally use a wearable device, mm-hmm. there's very, very low compliance with wearing a wearable and, and using it, particularly right. by the elderly. Like more, a pendant or something. That's yeah. right. More mm-hmm. so in disability, they're much more um, ad- uh, right. useful adopters of technology, but the elderly less less. So with so. you, there's nothing wearable? No. These are sensors up on the wall to detect and detecting motion? So that's right. So we will use a combination of those sensors and AI to find what's normal behaviour in the home, such as what time do they get up and mm-hmm. about each day, how well do they sleep at night, meal preparation patterns, even social isolation. Um, right. All of those indicators can be early predictors of a trigger event such as a fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can mm-hmm. we can detect the fall but we can also look at changes in that behaviour and send notifications mm-hmm. and alerts out when something's out of the ordinary and therefore allow people to get ahead of that problem and prevent mm. it occurring right. in the first Terrific. place. So the AI is learning the behaviour of the person in the home, which mm. is, of course, unique to that person, mm. how they operate when they go out and whatever. Do they get up in the night? And then it's going, right, that doesn't usually happen at 3 o'clock on a Thursday. Sends a notification to the carer or somebody. It sends a notification to as many people as you right. want to. So you can have the family and the carers and all the siblings on, on the platform getting those notifications and mm. alerts. So, for instance, we had a, a client recently who's, um, who had recently put in IntelliCare because she was worried about her, her mum and her mum was reporting that she was sleeping well at night um, but her daughter was a bit unsure and it turned out she was getting up two or three times during the night. Yep. And what her mum meant was by sleeping well that she was falling back to sleep well. Right. Mm. Um, mm. Her daughter downloaded a report off our, our platform arranged a visit to the GP and sure enough um, that lady had an undiagnosed urinary tract infection. Mm. Right. And UTIs are a primary cause of falls. And in fact, in a recent study, 40% of the elderly presenting to an emergency department with a fall had an undiagnosed infection. Right. Mm. And a fall is critical, isn't it? Because the person's confidence post-fall collapses and they become more insular, more socially isolated. So if you can predict the fall or prevent the fall then that's the game, isn't it? That's right, because normally it's not the first fall, it's the second or third. Right. They end up in hospital and the hospital at that stage will do an assessment on that person and needs to feel confident that they can discharge them safely into their own home. Mm. If they can't, then they're likely to recommend residential aged care and the pathway through hospitalisation to residential aged care is is very strong. We've had um, clients who have put in telecare to convince the hospital that they can live safely in their own home mm. and they were safely discharged uh. into their own home where they otherwise might have gone to residential care. In fact, we had one client who did end up in residential care and their their guardian arranged for telecare to be installed in the in their house and they were taken out of residential care back into back their own home. home. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Great Wonderful. Case study. Uh, presumably though it must be be, there must be some elderly people. I'm not having those sensors in my home. I don't want someone spying on me. Uh, would be a bit of a negative and a, and a thing you have to get across. It's, an, it's a natural first reaction. Obviously, prime, uh, privacy is a primary concern, yeah. which is why we don't rely on cameras. In fact, you can go to YouTube and, and find all these videos of the elderly um, giving the bird to cameras in their home. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But so nothing's recorded. No audio, no vid- visuals are recorded. No, it's just that's right. Movement. And the 
the conversation with the elderly about privacy is best managed by the family and the caregiver. Um, mm. right. the, the brutal truth is if um, they lose independence and find themselves in residential aged care, their loss of privacy is far, far greater mm. um, right. than, than what we, we provide. And they control who receives their data. So mm. it's right. a small trade-off in privacy for a larger win with independence. Right, yeah. so they've got to be... The, the the fear of not doing this and then the bad outcomes that results is 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 enough motivation to say okay this is going to allow me to live in my home safer for longer that's right the opportunity so we'll, to live in your own home longer we'll sign up to intelligent yeah. that's right Charlie and and also um, the primary concern of the elderly is not always about having a fall they sort of resign to themselves that, that might be the case they're no. concerned about um, firstly, being on the undiscovered on the ground for a long period, oh, so they, they don't yeah. like that idea. But also, they're very worried about being a burden, burden on their family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this changes the relationship with their family, and and they're they're giving back to their family by allowing them a bit of insight into their daily routine, um, and it reduces that stress and worry. So mm. decisions are made less on emotional grounds and fear, and more on data. And, and actual outcomes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. How, how do you sell it then? So you reach the eldest daughter, who's usually the influencer and the purchaser, mm. through a B2C campaign, Facebook, for example. You reach the B2B, presumably you know they ask you to just ring them up and, and get to them. How's that going? How's the whole sales of it going? And presumably it's a pretty competitive space. There's other people in this area. It's competitive. Um, there are certainly other products that do this to a varying degree. I think we're um, far and away the furthest ahead with our use of AI Right. Um, and the feedback about our our UI, our mm. user interface, is very, very positive compared, compared to others. We market to the B2B market through our direct sales team. Mm. So that's a traditional sales approach of getting leads and contacts, going out and meeting these organisations and, mm -hmm. and talking to them about their needs and our value proposition. On the B2C side, it's more of an inbound marketing approach. So we have the marketing campaigns running um, through Facebook and, and, and TV and, and other channels. Yep. And then we have a customer experience team on the other side of that who can take the calls because it's not a hands-off sale. Mm. It's an emotional it's sale. It's yeah. a nuanced sale. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's very yeah. emotional. So you need to speak to these people and even go out to visit them if that's what's yeah. required. So we've recently brought on board um, customer experience and support um, mm -hmm. specialists to um, manage those, that increase in inbound leads. And how long does it take for that decision process to, you know, for the decision maker to make the decision typically? It, it varies. Mm. Um, it can be turned around in an hour. Okay. Um, or oh. a, a couple of calls. Yeah. Um, for others, they may not be ready yet and they yeah, may need to convince their process. siblings yep. and, and their parent of, of, of the need. And so that will take a little bit longer and we don't want to push that. Yeah. Um, we want to take a gently, gently, gently approach. Mm. Mm. And so uh, can I go to JB Hi-Fi and buy this or do I go to IntelliCare.com.au or or how do I, if I've got an elderly mm. parent who needs this or a friend who does, who's expressed this over the pub, um, how do we get an IntelliCare system set up in our place or our parents' place? Google IntelliCare. Okay. Um, and <laughs> and, and, and our, our branded um, campaigns will certainly get you to our website. And you can even <laughs> buy it online and we have sales like that where it is mm -hmm. a no-touch approach mm. and people buy it through our e-commerce platform. They've done some research. Right. But and, typically yeah. they'll want want to talk to us. Yes. Mm. In the future, I think um, there will be uh, retail sales of this product. Mm -hmm. But if we think about the typical pathway for smart home technology, it's only just getting there. So you can go to Bunnings now and go to their wall and see all the 
very smart home devices that are, mm-hmm. that are there for doorbells and cameras and right. CCTV systems. Um, but I think just putting it on the retail shelves at the moment um, is is too early. Mm. Uh, you yep. need to have that conversation with people. But we certainly have that as our target in the future. Mm. So one of our strategies is to build what I call the off-the-shelf product mm-hmm. um, that is purchasable, installable with all the support videos and, mm. the, and the customer journey in, built into the app so that it's done very easily. It, it can be self-installed like yep. a, mm. a Sonos sound system yep. mm. um, or we have an installer um, network available to help people with that as well because they mm. don't always live next to their That's right. elderly parent. You know, exactly. That, the reason they need it is because they live some distance away. Hi, just jumping in here to give a shout-out to our wonderful sponsors. Without these, we would not be able to bring you this podcast or do what we do at Startup News either. So we want to thank Startup News, who produced the Startup West podcast. Go there and subscribe, please. Spacecube Coworking Spaces, where we also record this pod down here at Riff in the city. The New Industries Fund, who give funding, advice and support all year round. Curtin University, who have been a long-time supporter of innovation entrepreneurs in WA. The City of Perth, where we also record this pod, also a great supporter of the tech scene. RSM, who came on board last year, and who helped many startups with R&D tax returns and other advice. Dinner Twist, a WA startup itself, who has actually been on the podcast and just wanted to help out. So please, if you bump into any of these organizations and the people that run them, say thanks and go use their services. That's the best way to say thanks. Okay, now back to the show. So Jason, can we take you back through your career? So were you born in and raised in Perth? Yes, I was Perth born and raised and lived here uh, for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, went to school, school at, at Swanbourne High School initially, which no longer exists. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. And there's an apartment complex there now, um, Aria, uh, where we have an apartment. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, but also went to Guildford Grammar. That's where I, I graduated from Guildford and then joined the Air Force. So uh-huh. I hadn't left the state until I... Joined the Air Force. Joined the Air Force. At 17. At 17. At school, were you debating team, hockey captain, um, what were your favourite subjects? I just wanted to get the Jason, the the, the teenager. Mm-hmm. I, I was a bit of a geek um, uh-huh. and um, my early school days, I went to Swanbourne because they had one of the first programs there for people who um, accelerated academically. Right. Um, but I, my father went to Guildford um, and I wanted to – go there as well and that's where I finished up. I was very much into Aussie rules. I still play Aussie rules okay. and mm. uh, I'm sitting here with a, got a broken finger and basketball and, and those kinds of things. So I had that right. combination. I love sport and still still love to play it. I did all those things, Charlie, like right. the debating and, and chess club and, and, and everything else Any as well. entrepreneurial spirit back then when you are at school? Well, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, cool. And that's what led me to the Air Force. Mm. So I never really saw myself as doing a desk job. Mm. Um, I I wanted to be untethered from that and it's why being a pilot um, was very, very attractive to me and that was my aspiration and, and aim from a very young age. Mm. Um, I was lucky in that regard. A lot of people spend a bit of time trying to find their true mm, calling but I, I had that very early on. So. I was on a bit of a pathway. So I think we're a similar age. Were you around for the moon landing? Is that something that had a big impact on you? I was a, a few weeks older at that oh, stage. Oh, and just born. Okay. <laughs> I just remember that. I was six. <laughs> I'm older. Okay. <laughs> I remember the black and white TV at primary school and old Mr. Watts, our primary school teacher, and we sat down on the floor and watched the moon landing going, wow, there's someone on the moon. So during the 70s then, that you, That's right. you astronaut, how mm, did, where did that mm. come from? An Australian astronaut. 
in I, Perth? I can't really put my thumb on mm. exactly where it came from, but I, it certainly goes back into my living memory um, that I always, mm. always wanted to do that. And, of course, I quickly realised to be an astronaut you needed to be uh, a military pilot mm. right at that stage. You know, all the Apollo guys were either they were. Air Force, mm. Navy or Marine, marine pilots. Mm. Um, there wasn't, of course, any Australian um, pathway to that, that outcome and there, there still isn't right. in many regards. There, right. was a, there was a brief endeavour where some of the um, Air Force test pilots were looking at that. But now we see obviously commercial space light flight is going to be the future, that. isn't it? So yeah. obviously last week's Branson's flight, mm. did that yeah. – have you paid your money up, Jason, to <laughs> yeah. get up, going on up the Bezos there? plane? Or <laughs> or <laughs> if IntelliCare goes well, maybe that's where <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fabulous, fabulous. So off to the RAF, RAAF, is that yes, right? Yeah, RAAF. 17. Um, so talk us through that and, and where you went from there. So I graduated off uh, pilot's course in, in 1992 at RAF Base Pierce here in Western Australia. Right. And I spent uh, my time primarily um, as an Orion driver, uh, a P3C Orion, which is a submarine and ship hunter killer, mm. and spent um, most of my flying career operational um, in what was still then the Cold War environment, looking for um, Soviet and other submarines that were lurking off our coast and others, other okay. various waterways. Mm. Um, the Orion was a very operational aircraft in, in the Cold War, so went all over the world. Um, I also became a qualified flying instructor and ultimately finished up as the commanding officer um, out at RAF Base Pierce teaching advanced flying training to to junior kids coming through the right. system. Mm-hmm. So 20 years? 22 years in 22 the Air Force. Years. Years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Including training pilots at the end of it. And I saw you do a talk at E-Group a few years ago, which is fascinating, I think the first time I saw you, where you compared um, being a pilot to being a startup entrepreneur. <laughs> Correct. You have to have – could you tell me some of those things? Like you have to see everything and see nothing or something like that. I've, you put it better than me. That, that, that's right. So w- when I'd finished in the Air Force and, and decided I would like to try my hand at something else, and I was, mm. it was a pivotal moment in mm. my life in, in 2008, I didn't really know um, what to do mm. afterwards because there's not much call for military mm. pilot skills except in the airlines. I didn't want to go to the airlines. Um, but I realised that in the private sector after speaking to some mentors that leadership skills um, were very much in demand mm. and particularly leading multidisciplinary teams. When you're mm. flying, you're always dealing with imperfect information. So you're making very rapid decisions um, on 50 to 80% confidence levels. Right. The idea is that you make a decision where you've got an exit strategy so you don't box yourself in physically um, around mm. terrain or, or, or other threats. Um, but also figuratively, and leading mm. a startup is very much the st- same. Particularly like similar in, language too. Mm. Like mm. In there, there's no, there's no established pathway into a, a new category in, mm. into aged care. So you have to make um, decisions that are more experimental in nature, mm-hmm. um, and be confident enough to do that rather than waiting too long. So the way I describe it is um, strategy plus leadership equals growth. Um, right. you, and you have a lot of people who are strong in the strategy space, people that are strong in the leadership space, but getting both those combined together, um, the military is a, is a great breeding ground for those those kinds mm. of skills. So there you are, presumably then you're about 39, 40 age because you've done 22 yes. years from correct. age 17, is that right? My math is correct. Yes. 40, a big career change. How was that transition into corporate life from the sort of um, – 
RAF life? It was less turbulent than people <laughs> generally. <laughs> turbulent. Very good. Mm, exactly. <laughs> um, as anyone who is in an executive um, or leadership role anywhere in any environment knows, whether it's sport, it's, it, it's commerce or it's the military or public sector, um, it's about people. 80% yeah. of the things that mm-hmm. you're dealing with are people problems. Mm. And people aren't different um, from mm. the military to um, yep. to mm-hmm. managing people. corporate mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. People think in the military it's easy because you can just order someone around. But let me tell you, you, you can't just order an Australian soldier, sailor or mm-hmm. airman to do something they don't want to do. If there's right. resistance, you've got to find that resist, what the, that resistance is and mm-hmm. un- unblock mm. it. The bit that I had to fill in, the gap that I had to fill in was commercial skills mm. um, and sales skills. So yeah. understanding how a commercial business case comes together and also how yeah. to sell. Um, and so I, how did you do that? Well, my first role was in Wilson Group, um, oh, in yes. Wilson Security. Yeah. Um, and that was very hands-on. I was the state ops manager there and, and managing contracts and not only executing on those contracts but being responsible for their revenue growth. So going out and just doing that brown shoot sales process mm-hmm. was, was a great learning experience. Commercially, the way I describe it is you have to follow the dollar. So if you follow the dollar chain from um, the customer – through to your bottom line, mm. that's how you learn how the business works. Mm. What What is your business plan? How are you attracting that dollar? And then how does it get clipped on the way through via your expenses? And that's that's my due diligence process. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was it was great going through firstly Wilson Group, but then I had other roles with Horizon, um, Australia's largest rail mm-hmm. network, and also General Electric and and Spookfish, which was another yeah. startup. Mm. Yeah. Um, Following that dollar on the way through, and 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 that has held me in good stead. Um, to and I think you also had a goal of you wanted to be a CEO of an ASX listed company. That was like something you wanted to do. Firstly, why? Because <laughs> a lot of people in startup land would, wouldn't go on anywhere near that. So why? And then I'll get to how it's going and the, sure. di- the difficulties of running a tech startup in an ASX listed public space. But you're absolutely right. So when I when I left the Air Force, um, I, I was progressing very. Well, in the Air Force, I was on a, a bit of a far, fast track, and a lot of people were very surprised when I chose to leave. But my wife and I, um, Kakara and I, are both Perth-based, mm. um, and we wanted to grow and our family here in, in Perth. Um, so finding ourselves growing up in Canberra really didn't right. fit fit our our vision. But I'm a very driven person, and mm. um, uh, I like performing, and so I set a five-year, ten-year goal. And within 10 years, I wanted to be the CEO of a company, ideally a listed company. Mm. Um, and because that was my target. Again, you may go left and right of that target. Mm. You you may find your pathway there a bit circacious. It's never a straight line. Mm-hmm. I describe it as you as crossing a, a, a river using stepping stones. It's never going to be yeah. a bridge. Mm-hmm. You've got to go across stepping stones and choose each one. Mm-hmm. And you might find yourself stranded and have to come backwards slightly to move forwards. And that's mm. just normal. Mm. Um, so that was that was my aim, and I achieved it um, a few years early. How did the Spookfish opportunity come about? Uh, it was one of the really good exits. Uh, um, one hundred and thirty million. Yeah, one hundred and thirty-six million to North American private equity. Fantastic. How did you get into that business? Mm. Uh, I was introduced through uh, a headhunter that I'd used previously in, right. in in other roles, and and I'd worked with, um, and then uh, introduced to the to the chairman the executive chairman at the time, we had a number of conversations. Initially, they were expanding and needed some project skills um, and I was uh, a project director 
at that stage I was managing about 500 mil in capital projects. And when, in those initial conversations I said, well, you probably need someone who's just more of a project manager at this point but if you're ready for a COO or a CEO to get to that stage, let's have a talk. Yeah. And about a year later um, we had another conversation. I ended up as the CEO there. Mm. Right mm. and that was fantastic. Year and a half, I think. Year and a half, two years. Yeah. yeah. In, in the, and then the a break and then in, in the IntelliCare. Yeah, tell mm. us about how mm. you went, you know, Spookfish exit into IntelliCare. Mm. So I, um, when I exited out of uh, Spookfish, um, I started up a consultancy to help um, uh, other CEOs and executives with that strategy plus mm. leadership um, mm. journey. And I saw that um, as fulfilling two aims. Firstly, it's what I like doing. I like working in the high growth phase of a company, whether it's large or small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I describe it as you know being on that curve. Um, I, I like um, rapid acceleration on that curve. And consulting was a great way to experience that and help others, but it was also mm-hmm. a bit of a, a marketing strategy um, because yep. I can find leads that might result in my next opportunity. And through previous Spookfish investors, um, they put me in touch with the, mm. the lead managers of IntelliCare. It was at that stage founder-led and, yep. and in a similar uh, position as Spookfish, being mm. led by the founders, the founders experts in their own functional streams, mm. needing a CEO that was going to bring it together. Mike Tappenden and Greg Leach. Greg Leach, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, who are great guys and, mm. and had a lot of experience with information technology um, businesses starting. And they were looking for a CEO and, of course, you'd been a – CEO and ASX company. Story. so mm. That's right. And because they were looking to list at that stage and started on that journey, mm. um, the ASX requires a board to have um, that ASX experience. So mm. I sort of ticked two, mm. two boxes And we're available. There. And we're available. Right. <laughs> Short-lived consulting career. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Back into it. And how was IntelliCare sort of built and funded before the listing? Sure. So it, it's followed the very normal startup pathway of mm-hmm. being bootstrapped by friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an initial rounds. Um, shortly after I arrived, um, I took it to become a public company, public mm-hmm. unlisted, mm-hmm. so we could increase our shareholder, shareholder base. And we had lead managers at JP Equity, our lead managers, also along with uh, Discovery Capital, who are our corporate advisors. Um, and they allowed us to find additional investors, um, high net worths primarily, we went through two rounds of seed capital raising yep. in very quick succession within mm. a couple of months of each other to take us through to um, the next few months, which we would have to spend uh, speaking to investors to get to a listed status and get to to get to our IPO. So that got us through that that period, and then in May we raised five and a half million um, to kick things off. Right now, I think you're the first ASX listed company we've had on the podcast. I can't think Possibly, of another one. Yes. And we've had Matt McFarlane, who is now CEO of Isatana, but mm-hmm. when I interviewed him, he wasn't. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so startups, uh, tech startups are hard enough. Doing it in a public space where you have to pretty much tell everyone what you're about to do and disclose costs and declare anything that is more than 5% off your, I don't know, plans to the market and do everything publicly and then also have analysts ring you and media onto you, that must make it doubly half tough. So what's it been like? It's it's true, and I would encourage any startup not to rush into the listed space. Right. Mm. You have to be ready. About thirty percent of my time is dealing with mm. the listed elements yeah. of us. Mm. But that said, even if you were unlisted, you still have to have investors, and those investors are going to place demands on your time because most investors 
don't necessarily invest in the product or, or the market, they invest in the management team. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my questions in the in the in the road shows were about my experience and right. what I bought bought to the company. And there's many um, investors and funds that look just for that. Right. Um, they certainly look for those other elements in terms mm. of um, product market fit. Well, you had that in spades, so that was good. Mm. I mean, That's right. The spook mm. fish exit was an excellent exit, mm. so that would give people confidence. So, thirty percent of your time is spent on things that probably wouldn't have to happen if it was a private, unlisted, correct uh, startup. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so that's quite a lot of your time. You know, it's a day and a half a week um, trying to then spend the other time run the actual business and grow the business. That's right. H- hence, you've got to be very good at delegation right? <laughs> and you've got to build you a team a around team. you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what makes team. it exciting, right? So that, that, that's, it's not boring. Mm. Um, yes, and, true. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's really exciting and it's worthwhile. I like talking to our investors. Mm. Um, in, the, in the listed space, you've got many more. So instead of talking mm. to one or two VCs um, or single PE, um, you've got to speak to both your retail market, um, just the mums and dads and retail investors that are out there, as well as the larger corporate and bro- broker investors. The good thing about it, the positive, is it stress tests you. Mm. So um, it stress tests your idea mm. and your business plan and forces you to confront the realities and, and, the, and the assumptions that are underpinning your model. And if they don't survive that, then you probably haven't got to the stage where you're ready um, to list. Mm. I suppose mm. another advantage is you've got access to a big capital market potentially. Correct. So it's what a lot of easy. startups don't have. In yeah. That's right. And that, yeah. that is why you go down the listed path yeah. primarily because it's easier to raise funds quickly mm-hmm. and tap into that market. Mm. Mm. So in telecare, what's the next five years look like? You've talked to us a bit about the… Other than world domination. Other than yeah. world domination, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think it is uh, primarily around sales growth. Mm. Um, it, it's got to be that. So our first strategic goal is to get to be cash flow positive, um, mm-hmm. which is about 3,000 units in the field um, to 6,000 units. We have about 450 we've sold thus far. Mm-hmm. The um, achievement of cash being cash flow positive in itself, we won't necessarily get there because we may choose to reinvest back into future growth, mm-hmm. which is the likely mm-hmm. likely pathway. But that's the goal um, for this point. To get there, we need to sell the current product, mm-hmm. um, but we also need to keep ahead of the competition. Mm-hmm. And so um, particularly with machine learning, we're trying to move from detection of events to prevention, and that's right. the mm. number one goal, mm. um, coupled with this off-the-shelf, off-the-shelf. product. Yeah. They're, they're the two main strategic themes we mm. look at internally. Terrific. Well, I want to wish you all the best with that. We're yeah. going to finish. Jason, I've loved hearing the story. I could talk all day, but we're going to finish with a quick fire round. So whatever pops into your head, you'd like to start? Absolutely. Jason, what is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Product market fit. Absolutely. If you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being or perhaps wish away? Uh, A more vibrant private equity and venture capital market in Perth without having to go overseas or interstate. You're good at this. Quick fire. (laughs) Um, Who do you most admire in the local scene, whether it be a person or a company? I think it's pretty hard to look past Canva and Melanie Perkins. Um, yeah. yeah. A great example of someone who went through that early funding stage when you hear her talk about their story. Mm. Um, it wasn't straightforward and it wasn't fast and there were a lot of pushbacks and she mm. went through that, you know, testing and product market fit process and, and has come out the other side beautifully. It's a great, great story. It is. $20 billion valuation Amazing. and still private. Amazing. Correct. 
Um, how can anyone listening to this, uh, Jason, help you? I'm always keen to talk to other investors. Uh, I think that having patient capital inside your um, registry is really critical and important mm. and people who understand that any startup is a long run journey. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. It looks like that when the media gets to you and they, mm. they do the very quick look back, but having that patient capital um, is great. And, of course, then second side is just buy the product. Yeah. Speak, yep. speak to your family if you have yep. a need. Come and see us. Google IntelliCare. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason. And we could talk to you all day. It's been absolutely fascinating mm. to hear your story and, you know, the story of IntelliCare. And we wish you and the IntelliCare team all the very best. Thank you very absolutely. much. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our sponsors, Startup West Podcast is produced by Startup News and made possible by support from Space Cubed, the New Industries Fund, Curtin University, the City of Perth, RSM and Dinner Twist. And we recorded this podcast at Riff Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite pod platform and check out the new website, startupwest.com.au. All our episodes are there. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Charlie. Not Oakland, California, Radiotopia. (laughs) 